Hey, girls and ghouls, welcome to Slashers Prefer Blondes, a podcast where three brunettes, well, one brunette and then two fake redheads discuss movies that bite, scream, and slash. (laughs) I'm Natalie. I'm Heidi. And I'm Laura. And today we're in Woodsboro answering the phone and dodging red herrings as we outrun the infamous ghost face in Wes Craven's 1996 film, Scream. I'm so excited that I just did the Matthew Lillard tongue. I am. <laughs> Ew. It has a mind of its own. I swear it's like one of my favorite parts, but I also hate it. I hate wow. it so much. <laughs> That's such a visceral reaction. I really hate tongue stuff. So this applies here. <laughs> it just really it seems like something. Stuff. I do. I don't know what the decision was behind it like maybe it wasn't a decision and they were just like act kooky and he was like matthew lillard is just like that i think he's not like that in scooby-doo though he's kind of like that in scooby-doo <laughs> no he's deaf like that in hackers laura no. <laughs> my only regret about gen con this last year is that we did not seeing matthew, see lillard. matthew lillard <laughs> oh, he was yeah. there i know he was i walked by that goddamn booth every time and he was there oh I was like, I don't want to buy anything. I just want to see Scooby. I want to see Scooby. Shaggy in the flesh. I just want to see Scooby. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm honestly kind of glad that I didn't see Matthew Lillard because my fanatic Scream fan would pop out. And I don't I don't think I could handle that. But yeah, he makes board games now. <laughs> he doesn't make board games. He makes D&D stuff. Well, it's, it's still tabletop gaming. Just walk up to him and go, I have a question for you. If you answer wrong, you die. <laughs> I realized I realized on this watch a lot of the things that I wrote down were things that he says. His character is so funny in this. Yeah. It really is. Like Snu is so funny. Uh yeah, he's just I, yeah, I don't know what's going on with the tongue thing, but it definitely stood out to me and just made him seem extra insane. I mean, he's getting the ladies, so he must be doing something right. Is he <laughs> or is it just one lady? It's one well, lady. he dated Drew Barrymore's character. For like a, for a minute. For like a minute. It was long enough for him to kill her, so. <laughs> We're doing uh, Wes Craven's 1996 Scream, partially because the Scream 2022 movie just dropped literally two days ago. We wanted to get this movie out before the new Scream came out, but unfortunately, I caught COVID, so we couldn't record. Um, <laughs> my B... That's well, kind of a thing holidays. that's happening. I mean, yeah, it was also the holidays. We were all busy, but I literally got sick on like over Christmas. Like I got sick the week mm-hmm. of Christmas. So I was out of commission until well into the new year. Yeah. But we're here now and we're going to post it and we hope that you guys still like it. Because we, we talked about doing Scream on our Instagram a few months ago. Um, around the time of the 25th anniversary of this film, actually, because I saw that in theaters. And we had a couple people say that they would be interested. And I am definitely interested because Scream is probably my favorite movie. Of all time, like across genres? Yeah. Wow. 
to be fair, like, I don't think that Scream is, like, the best, best movie ever made. Yeah, sure. I do think that it is incredibly high up there. So, like, don't get me wrong. Yeah, favorite does not have to imply best. But, like, if I were to say that my favorite movie is a movie that I could watch, like, endless amounts of times and enjoy it thoroughly every single time, then Scream will fit that bill. I watch this movie at least once a year. I love this movie. Nice. It was one of those movies that I saw when I was in my early preteens, like, in my preteens. Your youth my youth <laughs> when i was getting really really into horror i saw this movie and i just like fell in love with it it was one of the reasons why i started to really love slashers which is interesting because like you know i think people in our age group like people in their mid to late 20s grew up with a really really interesting horror landscape because we missed a lot of that 90s horror and kind of got stuck with the early 2000s <laughs> like remake run yeah <laughs> like yeah. all of the like the william castle films and all of the like, torture porn era yeah all yeah. of the japanese remakes like all like the 2000s horror was all over the we place did get and found a lot of it films. was not yeah we did we did get some cool found footage films and then a lot of really bad found footage films yeah exactly <laughs> a lot of really bad ones yeah so it's just like our it's interesting because like our generation of horror fans grew up with such like a sporadic like smattering of genre yeah but i've always really latched onto the slasher genre i really liked like the slasher renaissance that started in the late 90s which i mentioned in our first episode like some of my earliest horror me like memories are watching slasher films from that time period like i remember renting i know you what you did last summer with a girl who lived in my neighborhood and I remember, like, watching a bunch of the Hatchet films and a bunch of the uh, Wrong Turn films with another one of my friends from, like, middle school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, like, staying up to watch Hostel. <laughs> like, stuff like that. Like, I remember all of that. So this movie was really formative for me because it was something that I watched with my family and just kind of, like, was like, oh, like, this is, this is it. This is everything. <laughs> now, were you... Like, did you kind of appreciate the meta commentary that's going on when you first saw it? Did you know enough about the horror films that they were referencing? Or did you just kind of like the whole vibe and then maybe come to, to appreciate it more over time? Well, I think that a really good way of thinking about my initial reaction to this film, because I saw this film before I saw Halloween. Yeah. Before I saw Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah. But... I do think that a lot of the traditional horror tropes had already been kind of ingrained in me through like osmosis, like a postmodern osmosis. Like I just kind of understood what a lot of them were. Mm -hmm. I think the really, really big thing to think about when you're talking about a young Natalie is that I've always been kind of like a smart ass. So I really gravitated <laughs> towards <laughs> that like vibe that you got in this film. And it's like, it is that like meta energy I latched onto that immediately because I was like, oh, this film is being smart about something that I don't know a lot about, but I know enough about to feel like I'm in on the joke. So mm -hmm. that's another reason why my appreciation for this movie has only grown as time goes on. Because in the beginning, I thought it was like fun and new and fresh for me, you know, mm -hmm. who hadn't had a lot of experience with like meta films and hasn't had a lot of experience with slashers. Mm -hmm. But as time went on, I was like, oh, my God, this movie is even smarter than I thought it was. And yeah. that's just, like, one of the really cool things about this film. Well, the first time I saw this, we'll talk about this a little more once we get into the movie, but the first time I saw this, specifically the opening scene, I was legitimately freaked out. Mm -hmm. Like, it legitimately scared me when I was a young teenager. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I think that 
because I kind of associated the horror films that I watched when I was a kid with like, I don't want to say like not being good, but being kind of like campy and a little like a little senseless. Like one of my favorite movies when I was a kid was like Deep Blue Sea. Which I still love to this day and think I is an amazing movie. I was gonna say when you but were a kid, I, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna cover Deep Blue Sea someday, guys. We're, it's gonna happen. <laughs> but yeah, no, I watched that movie like a million times when I was like ten because I I just thought it was so fun and I just like loved the like adrenaline in it. I loved the like campiness of it, and I saw something like Scream and I was like, something is happening on like a higher level here. That I can feel and I like just want to be in on that joke so fucking bad. And it's one of the reasons why I started like renting older horror movies. Like all of that started when I was a teenager. Like I started like seeking out older horror movies because I just wanted to be more informed. Mm -hmm. And everything just kind of grew from there. Like I got more into film. I went to college. I started taking classes on horror film. Like all of that happened. Mm -hmm. But a lot of my like love affair with horror started with watching Scream, watching movies around Scream, and just kind of like going from there. I'm trying to remember the first time that I watched Scream, and I don't, I don't think it was that long ago, because I remember it was a it was a film that we had covered in like my screenwriting classes, especially like the beginning of the film. So I want to say that I watched Scream for school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I loved it, so. Yeah, my, I I mentioned this earlier off mic that this is only like the second time, well, second and third times that I've watched Scream. So I only saw Scream for the first time like a few years ago. I want to say it was maybe like 2017 or 2018 was the first time I saw Scream. And I think the reason is because I had already heard so much about it that I just, I was like, well, you know, there are so many films out there to watch. I pretty much know the premise of Scream. I pretty much know what I think it's trying to achieve or what at least what other people say it does. Mm-hmm. So I think I just kind of was like, yeah, it's not really necessary to watch. But then I finally just did sit down and watch it. And yeah, I, I did like it. Some of the effect, I think, was mitigated because I already knew so much about it. But mm-hmm. that didn't really yeah. make it a less enjoyable experience. I will say one of the really, really cool things about watching this, like with my mom when I was a kid, was that I didn't know what the ending was going to be. Mm-hmm. So like when I saw the ending, it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I will say the first time that I watched this, I definitely fell for the red herrings, which yes. is really unfortunate because <laughs> at the time I was like specifically watching this also for like murder mystery writing because mm-hmm. that's the story that I had been working on that at that point in one of my classes, and I was like, why didn't I see this coming? <laughs> I felt so dumb, but I think that speaks to how good the script is, though, and, like, how effective it is. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that, like, one of the things that I like most about this series is that that kind of energy really does carry itself through nearly the rest of the franchise. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I guess you don't know who the killer is in Scream 3 until they're revealed, but then when they're revealed, you're like, really? But, um... <laughs> yeah, that's valid. Yeah, I, w- I really... That's that's one of the things that I like the most about this, is that, like, it's really... They really do take care in making it seem like you don't know who it's going to be yeah. until you know who it is. And even if you think you've got it figured out, it, there's, like, that, that little twist, like, at the end when you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. yeah, no, this movie, this movie is just really, really good. And it's honestly super, super important to me for the reasons I listed before, but also like I watch it all the time. Like it's like probably one of my top comfort horror movies. Like if yeah. I'm bored, I can throw this on and just like know that I will be in a better mood when it's over. This one and also Scream 2. I'm there with Scream 2 now too. I love Scream 2. Unabashedly. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say yesterday? The, not yesterday, the other day on Instagram. Catch me clutching my Scream 2 Blu-ray as I die or something. Oh yeah, no, my letterbox <laughs> review for the new Scream movie when I left the theater. Let me let me read it. Let me find it. Hold on. <laughs> oh, it, it was a it was your letterbox review. I thought it was just something you put on Yet Instagram. another plug for Natalie's letterbox account. <laughs> Everyone go follow her. I'm at Margot Robbie. <laughs> you know, that's a letterbox name. Are you really? Yeah, it's yeah. at Margot Robbie. I fucking love that. This podcast is really just a vehicle for Natalie's exactly. letterbox to grow. Yeah. Like- my letterbox is linked in the bio of my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, I love this franchise so fucking much. Catch me dying alone of multiple stab wounds, clutching a Scream 2 Blu-ray like a true fucking fan. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a way to go. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like the new movie. Definitely, though, if I were to rank the franchise, granted, I've only seen the new Scream once. I'm going to go see it again. But if I had to rank them, it would be one and two tied for first, then four, then the new one, then three. But I will say four the new one is really good. good. The thing that took four over over the top between four and the new one for me is the end. That's fine. I think the I think the end is just so good in four. Yeah. But yeah, we're not, we're not talking about Scream Four. We could, yeah. but we're not. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was about to say let's get into the to the one we are talking about. Yeah. Um, I can. I'm gonna just do some really really basic background on the movie real quick. Sure. There are like a million podcasts and articles and whatever about this movie. Like that's one of the reasons why we haven't done it before. Cause like I said, this is my favorite movie, but I haven't picked it yet because I was like, I mean, what else can we add to the conversation about scream? Like, come on, especially now everybody's talking about scream right now, but you know what? But fuck it. We're going to do it because <laughs> I just love it so much. I want to talk about it. <laughs> but yeah. So if you want a more detailed history on scream, may I direct you to literally anywhere on the internet? But, um, <laughs> Some basic, basic facts is this was about a $14, $15 million movie and it made $173 million at the box office. Yeah, it fully was, it was number one at the box office for like a really long time. I forget how long it was, but I know that it made a ton of money, way more money than anybody expected it to make. Like, mm-hmm. like it blew up. It was a critical and a commercial success. Everyone, everyone, I think knows this, but it has been hailed as like reinventing the horror genre in the '90s, like reinvigorating yeah. it, giving it new life. A lot of people were thinking that the horror genre in general was like dead in the mid '90s, and they they were just like, no, actually, we're gonna release this movie called Scream, and it's gonna literally do the absolute most <laughs> mm-hmm. and change the game forever. This movie is directed by Wes Craven. I'm sure anybody listening to this podcast knows who Wes Craven is, but he is definitely one of the most famous horror movie directors of all time. He directed the original Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left, Nightmare on Elm Street, this. Actually, he's directed, he directed one through four of the screen movies, which is awesome. He has some duds, but literally every decade he released a movie that kind of defines the genre. So like, 
he is the master. And it was written by Kevin Williamson, who is honestly one of the best horror writers ever, in my opinion. He wrote Scream 1, 2, and Part of 4. He's also really well known for being the creator of the Vampire Diaries TV show. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he also created Dawson's Creek. And he worked on The Following, that that show that came out not too long ago, which started off good and then became very not good. So bad. Um, (laughs) So bad. Yeah. uh, He also has a lot. He has a couple other movies that he's done. But the big things are the Scream franchise, Vampire Diaries, and Dawson's Creek. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what also is really, really cool about Kevin Williamson is he is an out gay man. So it's cool that one of the biggest hero franchises of all time was written by a queer person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why it has such a intense queer fan base. Partially because the movie kind of like exudes that kind of energy. But also yeah. because <laughs> it definitely made an impact on the genre. And obviously we all already know this, but horror is kind of like a genre that feels really safe to a lot of queer people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's all I really got to talk about. I have some like fun facts that I'm going to sprinkle in throughout, but overall. Oh, is, is is one of your fun facts that this is at least inspired by a real murderer? Oh, yes, it wasn't. I, I didn't actually, I wasn't going to fun fact that, but you're right. That is true. I think it was like, it was a murder in California. It's I'm like pretty sure. Gainesville or something. Hmm. And he saw it and was like, what if I made a movie that's kind of about this? And then just kind of, yeah, it's the Gainesville Ripper. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, no, um, this is like easily one of the most influential and significant horror releases of all time. It's the defining yeah. film of the 90s when you talk about 90s horror. It's definitely the most iconic. I, yeah, I would definitely think that when you think of 90s horror, people automatically think of Scream. Yeah. I, do I yeah. think that Silence of the Lambs is a better movie than Scream? Uh, technically, yes. But what would I but rather watch? Different. I would rather watch Scream. Yeah, I watch Scream <laughs> as well. It's just, yeah. yeah, it's different. Yeah, because, like, also, like, if you're thinking about the significance, too, like, obviously Candyman had a huge impact. It's even referenced in Scream, It too. is. Yeah, yeah like, they, they reference a ton of those iconic movies in Scream. Yeah. Including Wes Craven's own movies, which I think is... Hard. I thought that's so funny. <laughs> when Casey's, like, Nightmare on Elm Street, and she's like, well, the first one's good, but the rest suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking about when... Uh, Tatum and Sydney are having a conversation, yeah. I don't know, partway through the film, and Tatum says something like, it's starting to sound like one of those Wes Carpenter movies, mixing yeah. up, you know, putting together yeah. Wes Craven and John Carpenter. And I, I love it. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. We should probably get into it. Yeah, yeah. let's get into it. All right, guys. I'm sure everybody in their brother knows what happens in screen but you know what? We're just going to walk through it together. Well, I mean, also, if you don't, have been a okay. minute since you've seen it. Yeah. Or you're like me and you don't remember the movies you watch. So, you know, it's every, every experience is new. It's, it's awesome. Every experience is new. (laughs) Okay. Let's do it. Okay. I'm ready. I'm so excited. (laughs) We begin with one of the most iconic scenes in cinema. Casey Becker is home alone. And she receives a series of phone calls that start out flirty and fun, but quickly turn sinister when the caller reveals they are watching her and threaten to kill her if she hangs up on him again. Okay. We're already ahead of my notes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The first thing that I want to say about this scene is that the way that this one beginning scene is written is so impressive to me. Like I cannot, it's perfectly paced. 
the entire thing is just oozing atmosphere in like the best way. And my favorite thing about it is the setup and then delivery of like a lot of the suspense in terms of like a set piece. It functions so fucking well. I just like cannot get over it. And in this very, very early beginning part, I love that we get just enough of Casey to really like enjoy her and like be charmed by her before all of the craziness starts. Mm -hmm. You get that really good moment of her like bantering with the unknown caller (laughs) on the phone. Mm hmm. And you're like, oh, like she's she's a little snarky, which we like. Like she's fun. We just get to see her like hanging out at home, like making the popcorn, just doing normal girl stuff. And I like <laughs> that it begins with her like kind of flirting with the voice a little bit and being like, yeah, no, I don't have a boyfriend. Like, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it because it's just like fun teenage girl vibes, and like it functions so well because it does kind of put you at ease. Mm-hmm. when she's just walking around there's like no music it's just her and Ghostface talking on the phone mm-hmm. and then you have like her walking all the way up to the back door and then he's just like I want to know who I'm looking at and she just stops mm-hmm. and there's still no music it's no music cue it's just Drew Barrymore stops and is like what? <laughs> and it is so so good yeah. it's like everything is going fine and then you hear that and you're like what? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so so good I agree that I think the pacing's really good And one, I just want to say that Drew Barrymore, for being in only 10 minutes of the film, acts the hell out of that scene. Like, she performs so well. And I, you know, because usually, and they're making fun of the way that usually the first kill is this really innocent girl who is flailing her arms all over the place and crying and totally hysterical. But she's really smart. Mm -hmm. And I was noticing that when she, like, first answers the phone and he asks her what her name is and she's... She's very good about not disclosing any personal information and like just continuing to hang up the phone and not answer anything he's trying to ask her. And I was like, you know, I don't even know. I mean, I hope that I would be that smart to not do that. But I also (laughs) know that like it's really easy to give away personal information without Mm -hmm. thinking about it. Like if someone had asked me what my name was, I might have been like, oh, it's it's Laura. What's your name or something Everybody like that. Everybody call up Laura and ask for a social security number. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my God. God. I am not that gullible. <laughs> but in case you want to know, my number is, no. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just to have the the kind of foresight and the the protective tendency to be like, not really think of it as a threat because she doesn't know who the person is, but just not to, not to disclose too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also picked up on that this time, like, more than normal. And I was like, wow, like, the people in this film are all so smart, but it, like, really begins with Casey. Mm-hmm. One of the critiques I've seen levied to the Scream franchise is that they're like, they're making fun of these movies, but these characters are still making dumb decisions. And I've always had a bit of an issue with people watching a horror movie and being like, God, these people are making fucking stupid choices. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's valid. Like, sometimes it's like, that's dumb. But sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, first of all, we have to suspend our disbelief just a, just a little bit, guys. Just a smidge. Just mm-hmm. a little tiny bit. But then secondly, like, if you're in a really high-stress situation where you think you're going to die, you you're not be really thinking, thinking clearly. 100% clearly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, like, I could see some people being like, why she stay on the phone? It's like, well, she stays on the phone because she's fucking terrified. Well, what he's else are you going to do? She's going to kill him. Yeah. He says mm-hmm. he's going to kill her if she hangs up. So, like, uh, sounds yeah. like you're staying on the phone. But, like, she goes around, she locks all the doors... 
she but like she, why weren't they locked in the first oh, place that's but true. like that's a whole other um, it's the 90s discussion. exactly she grabs a knife she's mm-hmm. like you know she arms herself with the letter opener first to have like anything on on hand i think it's a letter yeah. opener mm-hmm. so it's like she's not being stupid yeah. and also she's a teenager like mm-hmm. you can't mm-hmm. expect her to be the most able yeah person mm-hmm. It's also not like, oh, I got this really upsetting phone call. Like, if you call the police, you can't just you can't just be like, well, this guy on the phone said if I hung up the phone, he was going to kill me. Like, what are they going to do? Literally, Casey does everything that she could have done. Mm-hmm. One other thing that I really, really liked about this opening scene, it's actually something that I've liked about the entire movie, but it is most noticeable to me in this opening scene. And it's 100% just Wes Craven's directorial style. I really, really like the way that this scene is shot. Mm-hmm. I love the like slow, like kind of meandering following her around the house. Mm-hmm. I like how it keeps us in the moment. I like how it helps to keep us at ease. I also like how it gives us a nice spread of the geography of what we're dealing with in terms of where everyone's going to go in the scene. Mm-hmm. Like we kind of know the layout of her house. We understand there's a front door and a back door. We know that there's this hallway this is the kitchen. This is the living room. Like we see how everything's mapped out. So when we see Ghostface running inside later mm-hmm. and we see her like cowering and stuff, like we're like, okay, I kind of know where things are because we yeah. had this kind of like opening. Hey, so like, just so you know, this is what this place looks like <laughs> while mm-hmm. she's um, walking around talking on the phone. Yeah. I think it also adds to the tension though, because like now mm-hmm. you know that there's all this space around her and mm-hmm. whoever is there after they say, I want to know who I'm looking at could be in any of those places. Why do you have to have such a massive house? God. (laughs) (laughs) And it's in the middle of nowhere. Of course it is. yeah, for sure. And I do really, really love that moment where he's like, I want to know who I'm looking at. And there's just Mm -hmm. like the pause. And then it just zooms in on her face. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Uh, Yeah, it's it's the danger, like almost inherent danger in being watched. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially as a woman not knowing what that watching means. Mm -hmm. I just love the escalation of the scene too. Like she hangs up because like, obviously you're going to hang up mm-hmm. and then he calls back and you get that like really good line where he's like, no, listen here, you little bitch, you hang up on me again. I'll gut you like a fish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, okay. We're there now. Oh God. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mentioned this earlier, but like this scene was legitimately scary to me the first time I saw it. Yeah. As I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, I don't really remember. Maybe I have, maybe I have it. Home invasion horror is the thing that freaks me out the most. Yeah. So this kind of like hits that trigger a little bit Mm -hmm. in terms of like, you know, the idea of somebody watching you and you like know they're there, but you don't know where they are. Now I don't get scared when I'm watching screen movies. I'm just too happy to be scared. But um, (laughs) (laughs) when I first saw this, I was like, oh, my God, Mm -hmm. where is he? (laughs) The first time that I watched this, I was also like sucked in immediately. And I was like, oh, I'm so tense. Like, what's Mm going to happen? Um, could you imagine being on the phone and she's like, what do you want? And he's like, to see what your insides look like. <laughs> I genuinely cannot imagine hearing that for real. Yeah. 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 I mean, I had seen lots of home invasion films and by the time I was a teenager, I was babysitting a little bit. Like I wasn't babysitting all the time, but it was kind of like a little side job. And when I would be home alone and, you know, the kids would be in bed, mm-hmm. I would be genuinely freaked out just mm-hmm. because... I was alone and it was dark and I was in someone else's house. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like just that feeling of potentially being watched and not knowing who was watching and Mm. where they were, what they could do. You know, my mind was always playing tricks on me. It was always, you know, I was imagining things, but that's 
exactly when you start to think about all of those things potentially happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it really had an impact in that way. I also love that she like hangs up and then she just like yells, I'm calling the police. And then the phone (laughs) rings and she just screams. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, like that switch from being kind of flirtatious and fun and carefree to being absolutely terrified for her life. She did such a good job of Mm -hmm. making us believe that she was truly fearful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of the what makes all of these movies work, particularly this opening scene work, is Roger Jackson's voice work as Ghostface. Yeah. It's so good. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys know this, but when they were filming this movie, none of the cast met Roger Jackson until after. They were actually talking to him on the phone. But none of them knew what he looked like in order to keep like an aura of suspense around him, which I think is like really, really cool. And it was Wes Craven's idea. Mm-hmm. But I just like, I love the ghost face voice. Yeah. I like how it's like menacing and like intense and scary, but there's also like aspects of it that are like weirdly sexy. Yeah. Yeah. And like kind of teasing in like a way that's like, you can understand why Drew Barrymore was flirting with him in the beginning. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it becomes something very, very not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, I think is interesting both in terms of, like, making it scary, but also, like, in terms of some of the themes of this movie in particular, like, because obviously, like, her boyfriend's the killer. (laughs) There's a weird romance and violence thing happening there. But um, he's just so good. It just works so, so, so well. Okay, I'm gonna move on. Despite Ghostface's warning not to hang up the phone again, of course she does. And just as she's about to dial the police, ring, 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 it's the killer again, who says he's got her boyfriend. (laughs) And she just screams. I love that part. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, Ghostface says that he's got her boyfriend, Steve, all tied up outside. And if she doesn't play a game of horror trivia and win, Steve will die. Okay. Things I like. I lied. I do have a boyfriend. He'll be here any second. And then he, he likes something. He plays football and he's gonna kick the shit out of you. He's big and he plays football and he'll kick the shit out of you. <laughs> I love that line. Mm-hmm. But I also love when the score kicks in and then Ghostface is like, his name wouldn't be Steve, would it? And then yeah. the soundtrack just goes boom, boom, boom. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I love the score of this movie also. <laughs> and it's also, it's like unsettling too, because you can see the shadow of him outside before she realizes that he's there. Oh, you're like, who's that? Who's that? Yeah. Like, is that Ghostface? The reveal of Steve on the back porch is like iconic. It's yeah. Like, oh my God, he's there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Horrible. Anyway, let's keep going more. So Casey answers incorrectly about who the killer is in Friday the 13th and the killer murders Steve right in front of her. His intestines are everywhere. It's so gross. It's so gross. I love it. (laughs) Though she tries to escape, the killer unfortunately finds her and stabs her just as her parents drive up. And Casey's unable to scream for help and the killer disembowels her and hangs her body from a tree for her parents to find. Okay. I have a couple things again. One, I always, every single time I watch these movies think that watching Ghostface run is always funny. And <laughs> I mean, that's also how I feel about Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, yeah. I mean. Yeah. 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 No, I'm with you there. I also, well, I, one of the things I really like about the scene kind of harkens back to something Laura said earlier, is that I love that they let Casey really fight back. Like she's yeah. our first kill. She's the opening girl. Mm-hmm. She like really fucks him up a little bit. Like she punches him in the face and then runs yeah. away. 
And then I love that, like, I love that slow-mo run. And then he grabs her by the mouth and stabs her. I love that yes. part. But then she's on the floor. She just kicks him in the balls. Yeah. And starts running away again. I'm like, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, she's a badass. Yeah. And also speaking back to something that Laura mentioned, like, she does make really smart decisions here, though. Like, mm-hmm. when she, like, mm-hmm. sneaks out the front door, she's very quiet. She's, like, crouched. And she's, like, making sure nobody's there. And it just kind of, like, sucks that, of course, Ghostface is there, like, one of the times that she, like, looks through the window to see if she's in the clear. But, like, she Mm -hmm. was doing everything right. Right. And one of the things just overall about this film that I like is that the women are smart Mm -hmm. and the killer isn't invincible. It's like when they have encounters with Ghostface, there's tension because you don't know who really has the upper hand. I mean, of course, you're supposed to kind of think that he does. But, you know, he gets hit in the face. He gets knocked over. He gets, you know, people actually have a chance against him. Mm -hmm. It's just that they unfortunately lose in the end. But he is quite literally just some guy. Yeah, he's not just (laughs) this big bad killer who every time you see him, you're like, okay, well, I guess this person's dead now. Like, you kind of know that because it's meta and you expect it. Yeah. But if this were just a regular horror film, not referencing any other horror films, the people would have a chance against him, which I liked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you definitely hear, like, how it's hurting him. Yeah. Like, every time. He's like, ugh! Yeah. So he's kind of like, he's not inept, but you can tell that it's not, like, this killer, this seasoned killer, I guess, who is just, like, totally unbeatable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another thing that I really like about this opening scene is it is, honestly, like, if you look look at it at face value, it's pretty brutal. Mm Mm-hmm. He stabs Casey, then he chokes her, and she gets up and she's like trying to get her parents' attention. Yeah, but she she's can't. like she's heartbreaking. Out. Yeah, uh, she sounds like my cat, which oh. I think is really funny because <laughs> my cat yeah. can't meow. But like she like can't say anything, and then he grabs her again, and then the part where the mom picks up the phone and she can hear her dying. Oh, on the that's phone. horrible! It is so fucked up, but like I love it. Yeah. It is such a smart, smart choice. And then you think it's all over and they walk outside and you get that tracking shot up to the parents Mm -hmm. and the mom drops out of the way and you see the dad and then that cut to Casey's body. Yeah. Impeccable. Like, honestly, one of the best horror movie openings ever in history. It's so good. And like, also to highlight this, like, when they reveal how Steve died is so good. Like, Everything Mm -hmm. cuts to black, and then, like, next time you look at him, his, like, insides are outside. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. so gross, but it's so well done. I mean, my favorite thing about the Scream franchise, well, okay, one of my favorite things about the Scream franchise is I absolutely love the drama that every iteration of Ghostface brings to the table. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so theatrical, because they're they're meticulously planning everything out, and, like, they're getting off on tormenting the people that they kill. But they make it such an interesting and, like, theatrical experience. Mm-hmm. So, like, this entire beginning scene, it's like, wow, it's so dramatic. And it's so, like, fascinating to watch. Yeah. And I I appreciate that. You know, like, you don't get a lot of slasher movies where there's such care put into these set pieces in this kind yeah. of way. Where it's, like, a dramatic flourish. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think part of that, too, though, is that they reference later, like, they watched horror movies to see how it was done. So it definitely feels mm-hmm. like when especially in this first film when they make kills or like when they're planning that they want it to be like a horror movie Mm -hmm. yeah which is cool like it's yeah it's cool 
All right, so now we get to meet one of my favorite final girls in all of the final girls, Sydney Prescott. She is up late, blissfully unaware of the horrific murder that's taken place when her boyfriend, Billy, sneaks into her room through the window, reminiscing about before when they used to be all hot and heavy before they simmered down to a PG-13 relationship. I find this scene so cute every time I watch it. Okay, so I wrote that one page on the opening scene, right? And then there's like a little page break, a little line break. And then my first note is, Nev Campbell is so hot. <laughs> then it says, Skeet Orch is so hot. And then it says, this movie is my bisexual awakening. <laughs> <laughs> I do love this opening scene. I love yeah. it for a couple of reasons. I love how we get that early cue of the doors doing the cross blocking oh, thing. yeah. yeah. I also just loved that. I loved the exchange where Billy goes, the exorcist was on. It got me thinking of you. And then right? Like, mm-hmm. It did. <laughs> we had a nice R rating on our way to an NC-17. And I was like, oh God, <laughs> NC-17 days. <laughs> One thing that is kind of like interesting about this scene and honestly the entire movie, the older I get, the more upset I get watching this movie Mm-hmm. Because the more obvious it gets that he's manipulating her. Yes. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because, like, when you're younger, you're like, aw, you know? <laughs> yeah. He loves and, like, her. the older you get, the more it's like, this is fucked up. It's fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Like, what he's saying to her is fucked up. It is. I literally wrote, Billy manipulates Sydney. Yeah. And, like, you know, when he has that line about, she says something about, like, oh, you think you're just going to come up here and we're going to get some raw footage and he's like, no, no, I would never dream of breaking your underwear rule. And that's like the first little, ooh, like this is, uh, there's some tension here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's it's a little, it's a little fucked up. Yeah. And then he like convinces her basically to fool around and mm-hmm. they make out to Don't Fear the Reaper, which I love. Yeah. But it's like a slow, <laughs> even slower cover of Don't yeah. Fear the Reaper. Yeah. And the minute, the minute he puts his hand on her thigh, she's like, we're done. She's like, yeah, no, we're good. Mm-hmm. But then he's just like, God, you see what you do to me. Yeah, that line too gets me. Like, oh, that's what like, people say eye roll. all the time. <laughs> Look at what you do to me. Like, oh, this is your fault. This is your fault that I am sexually frustrated. I'm not trying to rush you at all. I was only half serious. Exactly. Like, shut up. Get outside. Like- exactly. <laughs> so I, I want to know what your thoughts are on how the whole no sex rule plays into the film as a whole. Because it obviously is a through line in the plot. But I'm not necessarily sure how it connects to other things. So we can save that to talk about later. Or if you want to talk about it now, it doesn't really matter. But that's definitely one of the questions I had is like, what role does her quote unquote underwear role play in the film? I definitely was going to bring this up a little bit later. Mm -hmm. So we can just save it for now. Sure. Because obviously, like, this is the central conflict in Billy and Sydney's relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, it's not going away anytime soon. Right. I do really like the scene, though, of them, the two of them at the window when she flashes him. I mm-hmm. like that a lot. I think it's mm-hmm. really cute. Okay. The next day at Woodsboro High, police and reporters are gathered, but most notably, Gail Weathers is there reporting that Casey and Steve were found dead. Tatum breaks the news of the murders to Sydney and warns that they're interrogating the school and it's the worst crime in years. Even worse than Sydney's mom's rape and murder the year prior. I love Tatum, obviously. Her best yeah. friend. I don't know if we said that. But her best I friend. I didn't. The things about the scene, first of all, Gail in that lime green suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But then I love Sydney being like, Casey Becker? She had sex with me in English. And then Tatum being like, not anymore. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> I can't. And it's like, I love the, the build up to learning about what happens to Sydney's mom. Mostly mm-hmm. like in this scene, it's just like, it's even worse than, well, it's yeah. bad. Mm-hmm. It's like, Tatum, you have absolutely no tact. I'm obsessed with you. That's like <laughs> a through line of this whole film, though. Like, nobody has any tact ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or subtlety. Yeah. It's just so funny. Sydney is called into the principal's office to have a conversation with Deputy Dewey, who's Tatum's brother, and the sheriff, who asks her where her father is and, you know, the other standard fare. At lunch, though, Billy, Sydney, Tatum, and Tatum's boyfriend, Stu, and their film aficionado friend, Randy Meeks, discuss the murder. Stu is horribly tactless despite Sydney's <laughs> obvious discomfort with the whole matter and Stu insists that the killer must be a man due to the brutal nature of the murders that's sexist <laughs> yeah oh I love it that's called pride <laughs> I yeah no I I love the fountain scene I like a it's fun to have like a setup where we're like getting to know all the characters a little bit more yeah I like just seeing them kind of like hanging out and being buds like I think it's cool mm-hmm I also love the styling of everybody in this movie. I'm a 90s bitch, so, like, I I love, like, the (laughs) 90s aesthetic. But I love everybody's outfits and everyone's makeup. I think it's so good. (laughs) I agree with you. Okay. So after packing her things to stay at Tatum's house since her dad's going to be gone all weekend, Sydney receives a call from the killer who tormented Casey the night before. He asks her what her favorite scary movie is, and she says that she hates them because she finds the lack of intelligent leading women insulting. Though she presses the killer to admit that he's Randy, the caller insists he's someone else and admits that they're calling from the front porch. Once again, that's a really good setup. Yeah. Just like, because I'm not Randy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. I love that she just goes out front, Mm -hmm. but I'm also like, girl, that's dangerous. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like so conflicted about it. Well, I mean, if I thought it was just like one of my like close friends who was just like dicking around with me i would also do that i'd be like oh yeah you're out there okay whatever yeah i I completely get that especially because she just got off the phone with tatum and tatum was like making light of the whole situation and being like casey and steve didn't bite it till way after 10 (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah it's it is another good like set piece though you get the the first version of the iconic hello sydney Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you do like even though sydney is definitely her least badass in this first movie if we're looking at the series as a whole but you get kind of like a little taste of what she's like and she's very much so a no bullshit kind of girl which i really love Mm -hmm. so like we said she calls the bluff of the caller and steps onto the front porch but no one is there just as she's about to hang up the killer says if she does that she's gonna die just like her mother and implies that perhaps they were behind it Mm-hmm. She's able to call 911 from her computer just as Billy climbs into the window and seemingly scares off the killer. I guess I didn't say that they attacked her. Ghostface <laughs> attacks her. I love her being like, fuck you, cretin. <laughs> you yeah. cretin. And then they put her into a situation where she has to run up the stairs. That's what she just said. Yeah. yeah I'm st- they're all like big breasted women who run out the stairs and they should be running out the front door. And they force them into a situation where she has to run up the stairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so smart. I think it's good, too, like, partially because I think that a a not-as-studious moviegoer would be like, well, she's running up the stairs. And it's like, well, yeah, that's yeah. 
that's the point she has to like <laughs> well because they show her like fiddling with that chain lock and like mm-hmm. it's either i get this done and they get me or i run up the stairs where mm-hmm. i can like hopefully find something that i can use to help me mm-hmm. and she can do the thing where she locks the doors in place so they can't budge one of my favorite scream motifs is when the killer has to shove his hand through a, a small opening and it's just like flailing <laughs> yeah. around wildly with a knife in it. <laughs> I just like how the, he like shuffles around. Like, yeah, when he runs, it's like kind of funny. Yeah. He's just kind of like kinda just funny. hobbling around. Yeah. Oh my God. And then when Billy comes through the window and the phone falls out of his pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, the drama. <laughs> yeah. So cell phone falls out of his pocket and Sydney immediately assumes that it must have been Billy doing this to her. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Scary. She like runs away from him and when she opens the door, Dewey is there holding up a ghost face mask and Billy is arrested and taken to the sheriff's station. The first time I saw this, I was like, wow, she's really just going to do him like that. But also it's like, yeah, I mean, I would also be like, what the fuck are you doing here with a cell phone after I was just harassed? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think though... At this point in the film, when you originally, like, when you watch it initially and you don't know much about it, we don't actually know that her mom was killed yet. Yeah, not yet. Right. So, like, once you get that critical piece of information, you know, you understand that she's obviously, like, paranoid for a reason. And she's mm-hmm. like, that's too much of a coincidence. Yeah. I think that the way that they use Billy as a red herring, I guess he's not really a red herring because he's, like, the person. But I like the way that they do it. I think it's good because when he gets arrested yeah. this early in the movie, you're like, oh, they're trying to make us think it's Billy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it works because like you automatically like you keep getting hints that it's him, but then they keep pushing back on it in a way yeah. that the give and take is really good. It is. It's very clever. I also love when she opens the door and Dewey's holding the mask and she screams and then Dewey also screams. Like, yeah. Why would you hold the mask like that, though? <laughs> He's so stupid. I love him. <laughs> oh dewey's the best (laughs) (laughs) was who was the character in scary movie was it doofy i don't remember i think it was doofy oh one thing that i wanted to bring up earlier is that i do think another weird phenomenon is that half the people i talk to about scream love scream and half the people i talk to don't love scream but haven't really seen it and they've only seen scary movie Mm -hmm. i think it's interesting how the scary movie franchise kind of supplants some perspectives of horror movies in a lot of ways yeah for example i don't remember any of signs but i remember (laughs) a lot of scary movie (laughs) three yeah well i think it's you know it's a way for people who don't like scary movies to interact with the scary movie narratives but in a in a comedic way i guess so it's like yeah yeah, that the stories are distorted in a way well i also think a lot of it is because those movies came out when we were little it was more realistic for someone in our age group to have seen scary movie than it was for one of them to see one of the actual scary movies that scary movie was like parodying. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's interesting. Cause like, sometimes I see people talk about scream and I'm like, you're not really, you don't, you haven't actually seen it. You just think you know what it is mm-hmm. <laughs> because you've seen scary movie, <laughs> which is funny. I've actually never seen that. Oh, you would hate it. I know. That's why I've not <laughs> no, watched I, it. I would not recommend that you watch it anyway more some okay at the station dewey says that they've been unable to reach sydney's dad since he's not registered at the hotel he said he'd be at which admittedly is very suspicious oh i loved this scene though too this is like so so small but it's one of the reasons why i think nev campbell is so good in this role 
because Dewey's just like, we can't find your dad. And is like, could he be staying somewhere else? And she, she looks so frustrated. Like you can just like feel how upset she is mm-hmm. where she's just like, I, I, I don't know, I guess. And I'm like, relatable. That is yeah. so, you can, you can understand exactly what she's feeling. She's just mm-hmm. like, I just don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so good. Well, and you also, like, get the idea that they're asking this question because they probably consider him a suspect. Mm-hmm. They also probably assumed he was a suspect in the murder of her mom. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like, I can't believe this is happening again. We already went through this. It's not him. And I think yeah. she has a line before she sees Tatum. I think she's talking to her on the phone and says something like, just with all the news reporters and the police, mm-hmm. it's bringing back bad memories. So that's another indication that something yeah. bad happened in the past. And now she's just the having to go through the rigmarole again of, of yeah. doing mm-hmm. all the questioning and having all the news stories. Yeah. It's, it's just exhausting her. Of yeah. course. I feel so bad for her. Yeah. I love Sydney. I'm sorry my traumatized life is too much for your perfect existence or whatever she says. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry that my traumatized life is an insult to your perfect existence. Yeah. I have it written down. Yeah, that's coming up. <laughs> yeah, uh, Billy is also questioned by the cops, and they decide to hold him overnight until they can obtain phone records to see if he is truly behind it. His sad boy longing face at Sydney. I yeah. love, I love that shot where they are looking at each other, and he's just like seething, and she's yeah. just like defiantly sitting there, like yeah. she's like. You had the phone. You know what I mean? Exactly. She's like, you had the phone. And it's it's just like, without saying anything, it's emblematic of the tension that already exists between them. And it's just adding mm-hmm. like another layer to it. Yeah. yeah. Tatum, Sid, and Dewey head out the back way to try to avoid the paparazzi. But Gail Weathers, clever as always, <laughs> finds them. There is so much tension. And Sid asks about the book that Gail's writing. And Gail says that, don't worry, she'll send her a copy. And then Sid just straight up right hooks her. Oh, it's so good. bitch went down. (laughs) Bam, Sid, super bitch. (laughs) God, it's, oh, love it. I also love, like, when they're leaving the back of the station, Dewey's like, hold on, that's my superior. And then Tatum just goes, the janitor's your superior. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mom said that when I'm at work, you have to address me as the man of the law. Oh my oh, god, poor Dewey, he's 25 years old. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh my god, it's so funny. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, shortly after arriving at Tatum's house, Sydney receives another unsettling phone call from Ghostface, who says that she's gotten the killer wrong yet again, just like she did with her mom's killer and now Billy. You fingered the wrong guy, Sydney. <laughs> yes. The first time I heard that, I was like, what? And then I was like, oh, like, she's pointing the finger at him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is so funny. You're like, um, you did what, Sydney? <laughs> I was like, how does that, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, I'm so dead. When she gets off the phone and Dewey picks up the phone and just is like, hello, hello. <laughs> Quivering mustache. This movie is really funny. It is. It is. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh now- my god, I just remembered him with the ice cream cone. I hope that's in the summary. Did you know? It is not. <laughs> did you know that during that scene, Wes Craven told him to take a lick of the ice cream cone every single time the sheriff puffed on a cigarette? No. If you watch the scene, he every time the sheriff takes a puff of the cigarette, he licks the ice cream cone. I was cone. like, it's there so has funny. to be. There's, this was done intentionally to yes. be gross and just 
funny as hell. And it just makes him look so juvenile. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Uh, anyway, we'll get to it. Can we talk about Gail for a second? Yeah. Okay. I love Gail Weathers so much. I think that she is probably one of the best characters in this movie. I don't know if you guys know this, but Courtney Cox actually lobbied the studio to get this part. I didn't know that. Yeah, she wanted to like shed her like good girl friends image a little bit. And so she wanted to do something where she was just like a total bitch of a character. <laughs> so she kept being like, I can do this part. Give me this part. And she finally got it. And I think she is like phenomenal in this role. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And I love that the script lets her be like super, super cutthroat and really like selfish and badass and like just really, really good at her job. And also doesn't necessarily super punish her for it. Like, Obviously, she's not a terrible person. We find that out by the end of the movie, mm-hmm. um, especially in the sequels. In Scream 2 specifically, she gets kind of a more more of a redemption arc. But I love that they're like, hey, no, like this woman is ambitious and ruthless and she's doing a good job because of that. She's good at her job because of it. Like, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love Gail. The next morning at school, Sydney seeks out Gail Weathers. We learn that Gail's writing a book about Cotton Weary, the worst name ever. That is yes. pretty bad. And the man that Sydney identified as the man who raped and murdered her mother and believes I am that so Sydney- sorry. I am so, so sorry. Lee Schreiber was my most watched actor of 2021. <laughs> <laughs> Purely because I watched the Scream movies so often in 2021. Oh and he was God. also in like, what was that Wes Anderson movie that came, The French Dispatch? He was in that. And he was in some other movie that came out last year. So I watched like a ton of his movies. <laughs> so when I got my year in the review from Letterboxd, I was like, why is he my, oh. <laughs> Everyone go check out Natalie's Letterboxd. <laughs> Just go follow her, whatever you do on Letterboxd. I'm not and, doing that intentionally. I'm sorry. <laughs> and listen and, and read her, her phenomenal reviews. But yes, Gail does not think that Cotton killed Sydney's mom. <laughs> <laughs> right. So her kind of purpose in the movie is trying to solve the case and prove that Cotton is innocent. I mean, that's not like, she's not myopic in the sense that that's her only goal, but I think it's one of the kind of main ones she has. I mean, if we're being honest, her her main goal is to become rich and famous. Mm-hmm. And the, her way of doing that is breaking this case and proving Cotton Mary is innocent. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Cotton was convicted of murdering Sydney's mom and Sydney testified against yeah. him in court. Of rape and murder. Yes. So she kind of, in talking to Gail, starts to, like, you see the doubt kind of creep in. Mm -hmm. And her recognizing the possibility that she misidentified the killer. And really that sets into motion kind of uh, larger realizations about who who her mother was and who she is afraid of becoming and what happened to her mom. So I like that scene for the change it provokes in Sydney. Mm Mm-hmm. I like that we give Sydney some time to really, like, contemplate her mom and, like, sort of deal with the trauma that she has that Mm -hmm. was rooted in what happened to her mom and, like, the whole court trial. And also get confronted with this idea that she could have been wrong and, like, how devastating that is because, like, that's Mm -hmm. not easy. And I love that, like, despite the fact that Gail is pretty bitchy for most of the movie... I do think that all in all, in that moment, she is relatively, for her, sensitive to Sydney's questioning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
but I do like that when they leave, Sydney's just like, sorry, I mangled your face. (laughs) Well, yeah, because she's not like, well, first of all, Sydney's the one who approaches her. So she's not Mm -hmm. like coming and harassing her. And she's just basically saying like, hey, this is this is my job. Like anyone would write a book on this case. It was the most famous one, I guess, of the last year. And someone was bound to write a book. So it just happened to be me. Mm -hmm. And, and she's also not saying, like, you're wrong, and I'm going to expose you for being wrong. It was more like, yes, I yeah. do believe that you misidentified the killer and that I'm not trying to make anything up for this story. I've done the work. I've done the interviews. His story hasn't changed. And now we have proof that the killer could still be on the loose. Mm-hmm. So she is very matter of fact about it, not like rubbing yeah. it in her face. Yeah. And you can tell that Sydney like, kind of takes it personally, like, you think I'm a liar. Like, that's what you called me. And she's like, I didn't call you a liar. I just mm-hmm. think that you saw someone. It just wasn't cotton weary. Right. She never said she didn't call her a liar. She says, I think you misidentified him. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that's interesting. And I really like that we have this really intense background for Sydney that we don't really dwell a lot on, but we have a really good sense of what happened before the climax of the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Just Gail is really good. I love Gail. (laughs) Uh, Sydney runs into Billy at school, who's obviously upset that she believed that he could have been the one who murdered Casey and was tormenting her. And of course, that she'd rather believe he's a psychopathic killer than have sex with him. Lord have mercy. Such a devastating (laughs) line. You'd rather accuse me of being a psychopathic killer than touch me. I I literally, I cannot with this fucking scene. (laughs) I... I, I love that this is the scene that they choose to parody in Scream 2 because every time I watch it, I'm just like, are you really saying these words to her right now? Mm, like, yeah. just, the, the part where she's like, is your brain leaking? <laughs> yes. <laughs> she's like, is your brain leaking? My mom was killed. Exactly. Uh, yeah. When he's like, you know, you should really get over it, essentially. Well, he's I like, think it's time you got over that. I like, I'm, and I'm like, what? dude, it's been a year. Yeah. And then, yeah, where he's like, you haven't been the same since your mom died <laughs> brutally. Like, God, Billy, are you fucking yeah. dumb? I can't believe you're not cool with your mom being raped and murdered. <laughs> exactly. And then he's like, uh, you know, compares her mom dying to his mom leaving his dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that's totally not even a fair comparison. Well, I mean, I guess when yeah. you take into consideration that he's a seriously broken person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. It's horrible. Oh, Sydney's morning is about to get worse, though. She runs into the bathroom and she overhears two girls gossiping about her, saying that she made the whole attack up or maybe even killed Casey and Steve because her mother's death made such a traumatic impact on her. I loved when she ran away from Billy and Billy just goes, stupid, to yeah. himself. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that was fucking stupid. Exactly. You said all of the wrong things. I also, we talked about this off mic, but like this bathroom scene is everything the way that this cheerleader delivers these lines <laughs> yeah it's just, what an mvp <laughs> <laughs> she was like this is my one scene and i'm gonna fucking shine maybe she's a slut just like her mother <laughs> yeah so this is where we i think first learned that there was a rumor about sid's yeah. mom mm-hmm. having an affair with other people mm-hmm. and yeah just how the rest of the town perceives her mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just as the cheerleaders leave, Sydney hears someone whisper her name in the bathroom, and then suddenly Ghostface attacks her. Horrible. <laughs> I love how you get the shot of the 
the feet, the feet the coming feet down, stepping down onto the ground, and then the lowering of the robe, robe. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. What I like about this scene also is like kind of how self-aware it is. Mm-hmm. I feel like it reminds me a lot of Heather's. Yes. Oh my yeah. god, yeah. Because she even makes that comment that's like suicide's out or something like that. Uh, right? realizes that teen suicide is out this year. <laughs> exactly. I was like, oh, Heather's. <laughs> yeah. I like it because it like, it sort of like paints this picture. That's like, that's what Heather's all is. It's just people painting a picture of why people would kill themselves or whatever. But I just, I love how like tongue in cheek it is. And then they're mm-hmm. like, okay, just in case you were wondering, we are still dealing with a murderer here or his shoes. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I also love when uh, the guy comes out of the bathroom and she does that like cool slide. She like literally she runs and slides underneath him to yeah. get to the bathroom door. Yeah. Queen. She's so great. She is. Outside the school, Gail flirts with Dewey to get information when the principal announces classes are indefinitely suspended and a curfew is going into effect. Stu is like, we gotta have a party. <laughs> immediately the gail and dewey flirting scene is so fun <laughs> it felt i'll admit it felt kind of weird like it felt yeah. pretty forced but yeah, because she's she's doing it to get information yeah, yeah but like it was a little cringy i agree i think it's like fun cringy though when he's like it i'm is. 25 i was 24 for a whole year yeah <laughs> it's like you think well, you're it's, so cool yeah, it's like she's very in control and he's just kind of yeah. like a little kid she even says something about you don't look a day over 12 which <laughs> i think yeah which Except i think made it a little torso area strange. yeah <laughs> a little strange for me but i was like all right all right i'll roll with it i can't <laughs> also when they're tra- when they're talking about the party I think that the biggest, like, weird, dumb teenagers moment in this movie is them throwing this fucking party. Yeah. But obviously, Stu is the one throwing it. And of course. you know why he's doing it. Yes. But I love when he's, like, trying to convince them to come. He's like, you'll be totally protected. <laughs> Yo, I am so buff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This gangly motherfucker. Yeah. And I love him just, like, picking up Rose McGowan. Yeah. I I really like the way all of the teens interact with each other in this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It feels really casual and good to me. Mm-hmm. Mostly giving each other shit. Yeah. Yeah, that feels very natural. But I do like, you know, the friendship between Sid and Tatum, because at one point, I think it was right after the bathroom attack, she's like, okay, you're not going to be alone anymore if you P.I.P. Yes, mm-hmm. women. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I also did love, back in the Galen Dewey scene, I did really love when he was like, well, they're not a serial killer yet. Got to knock off a few more to earn that title. And then yeah. Gail just goes, well, we can hope, can't we? <laughs> I know. Like, she's terrible. Yeah. I should be covering the Sharon Stone stalker case, which I think was an actual thing, right? I have no idea. I, I think that actually happened. I think that was a well-known, well, of course, I don't know, but I think that was a well-known case. I don't know. The movie loves Sharon Stone. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to type Sharon in. Stone references in this movie. Uh, Yeah. Wow. Well, in 2016, there was a story about actress Sharon Stone is terrified as her alleged stalker could soon be released from a prison psych ward. Mm. Wow. She obtained a restraining order against a man who broke into her Los Angeles home on February 11th. I don't know what year. Yeah. uh, Sharon Stone's alleged longtime stalker. Again, these are from like tabloids, though, but Mm -hmm. I mean, there's enough of them that... I mean, that's kind of like what Gail is, though. So. Exactly. Yeah. So that's apparently a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. All right. In his office, the principal tries on the ghost face mask. Nobody knows why. 
and then he suddenly hears repeated knocks at his door. And though he investigates, all the kids are gone, and he is alone. Or so he thinks. When he returns to his office, he checks the closet, because of course somebody would be hiding there. But he doesn't check behind the door. And of course, when he closes the door, the killer reveals himself and stabs the principal repeatedly. I did like the way they had the principal function as a red herring up until this point. Yeah. Because, like, I don't think anybody really thought it was him. But I loved them, like, being like, it could be. Yeah. Earlier in the movie, during Sydney's talk with the sheriff when and he Dewey, touches her. Yeah, when he, like, touches her face. Yeah. And then when they cut to outside, he's like, your principal loves you. Oh, it's <laughs> so weird. It's like, so, so like, who says that? Oh, yeah. Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler says that. So why, <laughs> why do they kill him? I didn't understand the reason for this death. Like what purpose does it serve? I've always took it as this is just Stu and Billy being like, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah. We can kill the principal. It just seems out of all... Out of everything that happens in the film, this seems the most kind of tangential or just random. I would agree with that. But like, I guess that it feels like it makes sense if you're thinking about it in terms of we are two teenagers yeah, on a killing spree. And especially because Billy's having a really bad day Yeah, as well. Like, this is going to make me feel better if I just kill this guy because he's yeah. horrible. Yeah. I get what you're saying, though. It does yeah. feel like I thought the, the least thing. motivated. It still doesn't really have much of a point narratively to me, but, you know, it doesn't ruin the movie. It serves yeah. a bit of a point later, but not a huge one. Do they ever bring it up again? Yes. Yeah. At the like very a phone end. call that it's oh, like, yeah. well, they found the principal and then all the and people. And then all people leave. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could argue that maybe that's why. Like, they wanted another spectacle. Yeah. Yeah. D- divert attention. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of, but... Yeah, he's just kind of, like, strange. And then scares himself in the mirror a few times. And yeah, and then it's it's lights out. The cutting up the ghost face mask thing was funny, though. Yeah, and the, yeah. they, like, amplify the audio of him cutting with the scissors. It's like, shing, shing, shing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every time there's a knife that's shown in this movie, it's like, ching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tatum and Sydney discuss the possibility that maybe Cotton Weary was actually having an affair with Sydney's mom. And Tatum says, again, that there had been other rumors that her mom had been sleeping around. It was maybe just a deeply unhappy woman. Sydney refuses to believe that this could be true, but is shaken up nonetheless that maybe Gail is right and she did get the wrong person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At the video store, Randy talks to Stu about the killings. He insists that Billy has to be the murderer by horror logic, which Billy does not appreciate. (laughs) I love that part in the scene where Randy's like, there's always a reason to kill the girlfriend. And then there's that mm-hmm. extra behind Randy that's like, what? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and that's when the sex comes back up. Like, well, maybe it's because she won't have sex with him. And mm-hmm. then like quickly mm-hmm. followed up with, maybe now's my chance. Like, Randy, yeah. come on. And come Stu on, just Randy. laughs in his face. Yeah. With his fucking tongue. Yeah. I think that Randy's character is unfortunately one that does not age super, super well. Because mm-hmm. he seems more creepy now than I think he did in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I still like him. Yeah. He's the horror movie nerd. Like, exactly. We're all yeah. horror movie nerds. He says like, my we... favorite line in the movie, which I'll get to later. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> I really do like Skeet Ulrich's acting in this part, though, because I think that he is so appropriately funny and creepy. But, like, yeah. slightly unhinged. <laughs> yeah. He's just like... That's good. Millennium. Millennium. Just pats him yeah. on the cheek. 
Like, yeah. not helping your case, bud. Not making you look <laughs> any better. I also do love the Randy line, it's the millennium, motives are incidental. Yeah. Right. Very, yeah. very good Randy line. Yeah. But this is also the beginning of the of when the meta-ness starts to kick in, too. Hell yeah. We start getting that taste of the postmodern when Randy starts talking about, hey, there are certain rules, like... If the police want to know what they're doing, they should just watch one of these movies in Prom care. Night Revisited. Prom Night 2 or whatever. <laughs> Prom yeah. Night Revisited. He's like, he's like, uh, her dad's a red herring. Billy's the killer. Turns around, Billy's right there. Yeah. Who's like flirting with these other girls. And he's like, wow, that's in poor taste. Yeah. In the <laughs> horror section. In the horror section, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Dewey returns to the police station and the sheriff reveals that the phone calls were traced back to Sydney's dad's phone. And they're going to try to flush him out of Woodsboro, believing he is in town to murder since it's close to the anniversary of his wife's death, which I think is the next day. This is the ice cream cone scene, just yeah. for, for reference. It is. It is. He's like slurping on this ice cream cone, <laughs> talking very serious business. It's like very pink ice cream, too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Meanwhile, the party at Stu's is in full swing. Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. Can we talk about the scene where they're in? It's a very short scene when Sid and Tatum are in the grocery store and they're like, Yeah, no, we have to because Tatum says the line, Billy and his penis don't deserve you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I just think that is significant because I actually wrote down the line, How many guys would put up with a girl who's sexually anorexic? Mm -hmm. So Sid is talking about, she's kind of like rethinking her underwear rule. Yeah. And this really gets me because it's like, uh, you know, she's she's giving into this pressure that he's supposedly not putting on her and mm-hmm. thinking like, well, maybe, you know, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I am not sexually giving enough. And, you know, we're having intimacy issues because I can't be relaxed around him. And I'm like, maybe that's for a good reason. Like, maybe you have yeah. some sort of intuitive sense that he is not well. I also think that it really speaks to a lot of what we think agency can be be and what like moving on can be mm-hmm. this might also just be sort of thinking about it in a more 90s or like dated mindset but like this idea that having sex with billy is going to change her situation somehow mm-hmm. like it'll be a way for her to get over it and yeah. in some ways you can see that as kind of like an empowering thing like she's mm-hmm. being like okay i want to do something for him but i also want to do this for myself but it's like also it's like well is it really empowering to you when you're being manipulated into it i think yeah. that i pressured because yeah. i get the sense that it's not really i mean it's her choice yes but it doesn't feel like it because she mm-hmm. up until this point she has never she's never said outright that she wanted to so she yeah. hasn't given that consent and so now it feels like she's just doing it because like you said natalie she thinks it's going to change something whether that's for her or for the relationship or maybe she thinks that by changing the nature of their relationship, it'll help her move past her trauma. Mm-hmm. So it feels very non-consensual in that way, mm-hmm. even though yeah. she is saying she does say yes. I don't know if that makes sense. You know what I mean? It does. Okay. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because she, like, okay, it's so like she has sex with Billy, like, very shortly after this. And... It is interesting to me that they are kind of subverting the trope of like sex equals death mm-hmm. by having her have sex and also having her be the final girl. Right. But it's also interesting to me because the movie also does kind of like punish her for that sexual experience mm-hmm. because 
she realizes very shortly after that she had sex with this guy under false pretenses. And it mm-hmm. it goes from like a scene of her feeling kind of empowered to like something that it, it's like, it, I mean, it's assault. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's really interesting. And watching it this time, because I was trying to cue myself into being more analytical watching this movie, I definitely was like, huh, like, I don't know how I feel about that because mm-hmm. I don't know what it's saying. Yeah, that's that's why I'm wondering how the sex plays into the narrative in a broader sense, because yeah, I'm not sure where it connects. It feels like an important part of the film, but I don't know why, other than it shows her changing views of Billy. But the thing is, like, the whole leading up to this, she continually does not trust him. Like, mm-hmm. even when she says she does... You can tell she doesn't trust him. She still suspects that he is, if not the killer, somehow involved and just has that suspicion all along. And I'm Mm -hmm. wondering, you know, why that is, why, you know, maybe that's the reason she doesn't feel like she can relax around him enough to be sexually active with him. Maybe it's because there's something between them that she has always felt this, this sense of mistrust. I don't know. But like the fact that she just can't trust him throughout the whole movie says something to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think like in the context of the film, though, it seems like it's not so much that she doesn't trust him prior to finding out like when he when the cell phone drops out of his pocket. Yeah, prior to that. Yeah. Prior to that, I think she's she's comfortable and trusts him. It's just that she's like, yeah, you know, I'm not feeling this. Yeah. I'm just not ready to like go through that. Cause I think they say that she witnessed something related to her mom's. Mm, like, I think murder. she found the body. Yeah. I'm not she Cause she sees somebody though. She like, she sees somebody leave. Yeah. They make a point. She sees somebody leave and that's how she identifies the person. But I can't remember if she had seen more than that. Someone said that she walked in on her mom. I don't know what that means. And then she saw someone leave someone wearing... Someone who she thought was cotton-weary wearing cotton yes. coat. And then someone had then... Gail said she thinks someone then planted that coat. Yeah. The, the actual killer planted that coat yeah. in Cotton's car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, even just, like, finding her mom, like, post-rape and murder would right. be horrifying enough to be like, you know what? No. I don't want anything yeah. to do with that. Yeah. yeah. And then having Billy be like, it's time to move on... You haven't yeah. been the same since your mom died. I want my girlfriend back. That's just That's so, so much pressure. Yeah. yeah. I do think that it's really cool that the movie does give us a final girl who has sex on her own accord in a lot of ways. Like, she's the one who chooses to do it. She's the one who initiates it in the yeah. moment. I think there's a lot of agency in that. And I do think that that is a little empowering, especially because in this genre, it's not something we see a lot, especially mm-hmm. in a girl who survives. True. Yeah. So, like... Being able to have, like, a final girl who has sex and chooses to do so and feels good about it afterwards until she finds out who she had sex with mm-hmm. um, <laughs> is, I think, great. But I do think that it also says a lot about the way that trauma can impact our decision making yeah, and the way that it can impact our relationships. Because Sydney is obviously throughout the movie still not okay with what happened to her mom. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's interesting that the film 
uses this relationship and like her like sexual like a journey and like awakening as a way to show her trying to break out of this mold that she was in yeah and kind of give up on that part of her that was kind of hung up on her mom's death Mm -hmm. and i think that it is interesting to choose to do that in a way that so heavily relies on billy kind of coercing her into it yeah but i also think that what that does serve to do is kind of just highlight the manipulative nature of Mm -hmm. billy so yeah i feel like it is a little bit of mixed messaging this is the thing that i dislike the most about this movie but i also don't 100 percent hate it because i do feel like her journey is still understandable and relatable Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah i i actually i totally agree with that because yeah it's like it is a moment of showing growth kind of personal growth symbolizing her kind of trying to move on from the place she is stuck in with her mom and feeling traumatized in that sense and kind of making peace with what happened exactly but at the same time yeah it's done it's prompted in a way that feels coercive and manipulative because of the continued pressure from billy Mm -hmm. you know when she finally does say yes i do kind of like how he's like what like yeah are you sure well, I mean, it's also, like, he says later, it's a test and she failed it. And yeah. since she had sex, now she has to die. Yeah. Oh, I didn't get, I didn't understand what that line meant. What test she had failed. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, they were always going to kill her anyway. So <laughs> he was, yeah, oh, but... so he's talking about, like, the test was, like, withstanding Yeah, sexual... like, sh- like, she's the final girl. And then, like, the rules of horror movies are sex equals death. So right. so she failed. Mm-hmm. Okay. She fails. Yeah. Ah, uh, that makes it worse. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. It is really fucked up. And I think yeah. that it does make what they're doing even more, like, horrific in retrospect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically for Sydney. And I do really, really like the way that this interaction with Billy in this movie does kind of play out over the next few movies. Mm-hmm. You can see that it plays out really, really in an interesting way in Scream 2. But I do have mixed feelings about Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. but i do like what i liked about that grocery scene in particular is how tatum's just like you know if billy's not okay with you being this way fuck billy you know Mm -hmm. what i mean which i love and i love that tatum's just like openly like billy and his penis don't deserve you like (laughs) like who gives a shit what he thinks do what you feel comfortable with exactly and it's also like you don't have to have a reason for why you don't want to have sex Mm -hmm. right that doesn't matter. The fact that you just like don't want to, that's end of the story. He should respect yep. that. For right. sure. And she even says at the beginning, like, do you know what my dad would do to you to kind of like give him a reason? But you kind of get the sense that it's just, she's just not comfortable with it. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Well, we skipped over a pretty important scene. So I guess we should touch base on that real quick. <laughs> okay. So like I said, party is in full swing. Gail and Dewey come in and she manages to plant a camera in the living room beneath the TV as Tatum heads into the garage to grab Stu another beer. The door eerily closes by itself and Tatum finds herself locked in. The lights in the garage go out and Tatum tries to open the garage door, smart, but it just closes again by itself. And when she turns to see if somebody's standing there, there's ghost face. In a glittery, glittery ghost face costume. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which I love. She assumes that it's Randy, but he attacks her, and though she fights back and tries to escape through the cat door, she gets stuck. 
and the killer opens the garage, which crushes her neck and kills her. Cat door was a bad move, but... Yeah. I mean, there wasn't really another way she could but get out. beer bottles was a great move. Oh, yeah. yeah. She threw that beer bottle right in his dick. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing, when I first saw that, I was the first thought I had was smash one of those bottles and go yeah. at him. She had like five or so. Yeah. But yeah. But of course she dropped him, but then she used the shards. Well, yeah. And we also get that iconic line in the scene where she's like, oh, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is one of my favorite scenes of the whole film. Yeah. Do you want to unpack a little bit why? Just because of that line. i love that (laughs) i love her skirt (laughs) i think that this is probably the most iconic kill in this movie yeah absolutely yeah i think that everybody remembers this one they remember the beginning of the beginning of the movie Mm -hmm. but i don't think people really remember the end of that beginning scene people remember tatum dying yeah Mm -hmm. well it's it's also the one that's like the most unique of all of Mm -hmm. them because all the other ones are like stab and run and this one's like a slow like the garage doors the garage doors getting closer to the top and she can't get out like Mm -hmm. the tension though is like it's just so much more because Mm -hmm. it's it's slower i think it also kind of speaks to how much people love tatum as a character like rose mcgowan is so fun in this movie yeah. She's so likable. She's so funny. And it just, it sucks when she dies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, rip to Tatum in her super erect nipples. Yeah. So Billy shows up at the party to talk with Sid and apologize for everything. But Sydney instead apologizes for being quote unquote self-absorbed and for all of her PTSD and she wants to get over her mom. I'm so sorry. I'm traumatized by my mother's death one year ago. I also, I do love when Stu opens the door and Billy's there. Yeah. I love how when you first watch this movie, it plays off like Stu is just wingmanning like really, really I hard. Know. But really, Stu was like, I need to get my buddy here so we can kill you. Mm-hmm. I also there's like vibes between them. Oh, oh hell yeah! Oh, there Lord. is there is four million articles about how queer the Billy Stew relationship is. Yeah, the way that Stu like hangs on him and is mm-hmm. like always like close to his head. I'm like, yeah. dude. You're like, man, I wonder already. how I wonder how Billy got Stu to do all this, huh? <laughs> Penetration. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. And they're stabbing each other at the end. Penetration! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big penetration vibes. Big yeah. penetration vibes. Anyway. <laughs> Billy and Sid have a heart-to-heart and then start to get it on. Downstairs, everybody else is watching Halloween and Randy is like, you guys don't know the rules of horror? Let me break it down for you. One, never have sex. Two, don't drink or do drugs because of the sin rule and three never ever say i'll be right back i'll be right back (laughs) i love everybody throwing popcorn at randy when he's like don't have sex or do drugs or drink and they're like no (laughs) i also um i really really like the cuts between sid and billy having sex and them down Mm -hmm. at the party Mm -hmm. reacting to the movie yeah right it's a really well edited sequence yeah, they're like really like, hey, just in case you didn't know what we were doing, this is what we're doing. Yeah, and then I'd say, I don't know how long it is, but for the next five to ten minutes, they're kind of overlapping Halloween on the on the television. Mostly the mm-hmm. sound coming from mm-hmm. the television and what's going on in the movie. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, obviously Halloween was like a huge inspiration for this movie. Yeah. It's the first film mentioned, I think. Yeah. And I love that they were like, we're going to directly use them watching this movie. Because like, I mean, I love Halloween. Halloween mm-hmm. is an amazing slasher film. Mm-hmm. The original one. And I like that they are like making such an effort to play directly with that text. Like we're, we talked a little bit about the metatextual thing about the postmodernist thing. And yeah, I have more on that to discuss. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you do. <laughs> but this is such a good example of it because they're yeah, like, yeah. quite literally playing with it. They're yes. like, hey, we're going to show you a scene in this movie and then like parody it in real time. And that very distinct, the very distinct soundtrack from Halloween. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like when later when Dewey's kind of looking around the house and you have a when he's like opening up the yeah. closet. So it's very, very well done. And I love it too, because the score for Scream is already so iconic and strong. So like the fact that they're able to interplay with this other movie and like the sounds from this other movie and it just fits so seamlessly in. Mm-hmm. So good. Dewey gets a call from the sheriff that says that they've found a car in the bushes and he invites Gail to check it out with him. And they're able to confirm that it's actually Sydney's dad's car and they rush back to the house afraid he's already on the prowl. I love in this little scene where they're walking, Gail is just like, is Dewey your real name? And he's like, no, it's Dwight. She's just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I like Dewey. It's sexy. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, is it? Okay, Gail. Sorry to any Deweys out there listening. I'm sorry to any Deweys. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, young kid from Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the boss of me now. <laughs> oh, but yeah, no, I I like the Gail and Dewey stuff. I think it's fun. I like when he says, when they like start kissing and then he goes, I'm on duty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why he has to stop. He's so funny. I can't yeah. handle it. And I do, I really, really like the 30 second lag uh, yeah. on the videotape yeah. and how that plays in. Cause I love like, oh my God, no, oh my God, I totally forgot. I love when they're in the car and they're watching Randy do the rules thing and Gail just goes, boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Speaking of Randy, Randy answers the phone that the principal was found dead and everyone else at the party rushes off to see the body. Driving drunk. Yeah. Don't do that, kids. <laughs> Arriving drunk. That's the first thing I thought about. I was like, they can't do that. They're all drunk. God, Laura, you're such a nart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> I'm thinking about their safety. And other people on the road. Unsuspecting motorists. Unsuspecting motorists. So it does leave Stu, Randy, Sydney, and Billy all alone in the house. Post hookup, Sydney asks Billy who he called with his one phone call at the station. He says he called his dad, but Sydney thinks that's pretty odd since the sheriff is actually the one who called his dad. Billy's like, well, he didn't answer. But anyway, Sydney says that it'd be a clever way to throw her off his track if he called someone to call her, right? And just then, Ghostface walks into the room and stabs Billy several times. Then Ghostface chases her and pushes her off the roof when she falls into a boat and finds Tatum dead hanging from the garage door drama i really like that very brief moment where she says that and you know Mm -hmm. he realizes that she still suspects him and he says what do i have to do to prove to you that i'm not a killer Mm -hmm. and then Ghostface walks in exactly so (laughs) for me that was kind of like the the cue peak yeah Yeah. not only a cue but a peak of the tension between them that's been just building and building this whole time and and Mm -hmm. that he knows she doesn't trust him and because he knows that he feels, I'm sure, you know, potentially exposed and he's trying to somehow regain her trust, but mm-hmm. there's just nothing he can do because she's always 
thinking about how he could have yeah. done it. Yeah. And it's it's such an ultimate red herring move, too. Because mm-hmm. she says that. Also, like, the implications of them having sex and then her asking that question. It's like, girl, are you good? Yeah, <laughs> right? Uh, but then, like, they're like, okay, just when you thought one more time he could be the killer, boom, yeah. he's dead. Mm-hmm. Also, the way that he dies, after you know the ending, watching him die mm-hmm. is so funny. Yeah. Because you're like, you dramatic little slut. Like, you are not even. <laughs> you don't. He turns yeah. around. You don't see him get stabbed. I know. And then he turns. Yeah. He's like. Eh. He falls. <laughs> he literally yeah. falls. Oh, he Billy. throws himself down the stairs. Yeah. Oh, Again, God. I'm like, you could hurt a lot of your bones and your body by just throwing yourself <laughs> down the stairs. Going back to what you had said, Natalie. I think that. Sydney did not ask that question initially with like suspicion because she's it's more like so who did you call and it's not until he's like oh I called my dad that she's like what that doesn't make sense so I don't think at that point that she's like oh who did you call and trying to fish out and see if you're a liar or whatever it's just like a general question I could see that I've always read it as her not being like purposefully suspicious but of her having that question in her mind and being like huh who did he call you know what i mean yeah like because she's thinking you know it would be interesting if he did do that he could have called me if he wanted to i mean obviously i don't even think that billy called her from jail i think Stu called her Mm -hmm. i mean his phone call was to Stu to call yeah maybe But, like, I think that it's really interesting that she, like, her brain going there is, I think, her noticing a red flag. And I always thought that was interesting. I don't know if I actually think this, but I wonder if she kind of had that question all along, ever since she got the second call. And maybe, you know, in this moment after they've had sex, maybe she's just like, well, hell, might as well ask it now. And then wants to get the answer to it maybe she's had that question like on her hit mind the surface yeah yeah i don't know i don't know either maybe we'll see i guess we won't see but like who knows Sydney <laughs> <laughs> runs for the news van and just as kenny opens the door to run to the house he's attacked again by Ghostface and killed the killer does get one good stab in on sydney but she manages to escape by the skin of her teeth yeah I love that the ghost face follows her through the hole instead of mm-hmm. just going outside the right, door. Exactly. I'm like, yep. I'm like yeah. he's a normal guy. He could be dumb too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dewey and Gail finally return and he decides to go into the house and ask Gail to call the sheriff from her van, but she discovers blood in the van and fears the worst for her cameraman. As she tries to drive away, Kenny's body is like covering the windshield and she nearly hits Sydney. She swerves off the road and the van crashes into a tree. I love the blood on the windshield. Yeah. I love it. I think it's so good. Like when she runs it and she starts to notice what it is. Yeah. So good. Good job acting from Courtney Cox right there. I love that. I also really, 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 really love that they have her run off the road and you're like, wow, this dumb journalism bitch (laughs) guesses she's dead. Yeah. Because that's what they would do in a lesser script. Yeah. But no, no. She comes back. It's perfect. Honestly, when Kevin Williamson was writing this, he knew what he had in Courtney Cox's character. He knew what he had in Gail. He was like, we're going to subvert expectations with this character. She's going to become way more than you think she's going to be. And I love that. Sydney makes it back to the house and 
calls for Dewey. He opens the front door, but then collapses, revealing there's a knife in his back. Ghostface comes at her and tries to get into the sheriff van with her, but she locks the door, only to find that there's no keys. The killer ducks under the car and opens the back trunk while she's radioing for help. He tries to attack her again, but she manages yet again to escape and loses sight of him. When he taps on the window with a knife and just jingles the keys in front of her face. It just goes to what I said earlier, and I just love how like there is such a theatrical flair to Ghostface that you don't really see in a lot of slasher films. Because you know that was them just being like, bitch, I got you. I got the keys right here. You can't come out. Mm -hmm. It's good. (laughs) Not as good as what happens next. (laughs) Randy charges up to the house to Sydney asking for help. But Stu shows up just as Randy is trying to be like, I think Stu did it. And Stu's (laughs) like, no, 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 it was Randy. And Sydney just slams and locks the door in both of their faces. Fuck you both. (laughs) That. Is probably my favorite part. (laughs) Yeah, she does pick up Dewey's gun. Yeah. Yeah. Miraculously, Billy emerges from the upstairs bedroom, bloodied and barely holding it together, but insists that they need to get out. He opens the door and Randy runs in saying Stu's gone mad. But Billy, he's like, well, we all go a little mad sometimes. Then he shoots Randy in the shoulder. Oh my god, it's so good. Yeah, (laughs) he like holds... He holds up the act long enough to get the gun from Sydney yeah. so that he can then have possession of that. But yeah. Yeah. He literally throws himself down the stairs and he's getting yeah. up. He's like, oh, that's, uh, uh. oh my God. And oh. he licks his bloodied hand and reveals it's just corn syrup like in Carrie. So good. I both like love and hate what happens here <laughs> purely from like a, oh my God, you're the worst standpoint. Because him being like, we all go a little mad sometimes. Bam. And then he's like, psycho. And then, <laughs> and then he, he looks at me, he's like, it's corn syrup. It's what they used for pig's blood and carry. It's like, okay, we fucking get it. You have a letterbox. So like, calm down. <laughs> like, <laughs> Movies are life. I thought, but like, after this happened, I was like, he's the lethal film boy. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we went to college with a lot of him. Like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The killer film boy. <laughs> As Sydney tries to run away, Stu blocks her and pulls out the distorted voice changer. Turns out they've both been behind it the whole time. So good. I just, I love, I love the acting from both the guys in this scene. Mm -hmm. I love like Billy just like scratching his head with the gun and Mm -hmm. like pointing it at her. And like Stu is like camping it up like no one's business. (laughs) He's spitting all over himself. Yeah. Yeah. So Billy and Stu continue to torment her and Billy reveals that they framed Cotton Weary for her mom's murder. Billy says that they did her mom a favor by killing her since she was a, I can't believe I'm saying these words because I hate them. She was a quote unquote slut bag whore and was having an affair with Billy's dad and Billy blames her for breaking up his family. The motive emerges. (laughs) Yeah. Before they can kill Sydney, Stu reveals that they've been holding her father hostage in order to frame him. To make the story more believable, they now proceed to stab each other so that they're like the last two standing, but it's not too obvious. Okay, we gotta, we gotta pause. We're going through this way too fast. (laughs) I think it's interesting that we start with Billy just saying that like he doesn't have a motive. You know what I mean? Like it's Mm -hmm. much scarier that way. Like they're just doing this to kind of like get off and do it to have like this power or whatever Mm -hmm. and when he says the bit about his mom Stu looks legitimately surprised yeah like he didn't know yeah Yeah. 
I love that because obviously like Sydney kind of uses it against him later, like calling him like a pansy as mama's boy. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But I really, really do like that. Like even Stu doesn't really know everything that's going on in Billy's head. And I think that that kind of sparks a little bit of a rift between the two of them automatically. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. And I also really just, I just really like this scene. I love watching them like try to torment her. Because you can tell that they are so fucking Mm self-satisfied and they are like, so like we fucking did it. And it's so, so fascinating to watch. And I love the whole like killer monologue thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the way when they stab each other, I don't know why Billy stabs Stu multiple times, but he's like going in. And I think Billy, gets like one stab wound, but it's, it's kind of deep or like it's, it's not as shallow as he told Stu to make it. I yeah. think he does it because he's like, oh, that was too deep. And so he lashes out like, fuck you, Stu. Mm-hmm. And like, you can notice that he doesn't give Stu back the knife. He's like, no, I'm going to stab you a bunch. Mm-hmm. And he's like, whoa, I'm getting woozy. Here. He's like, I'm really hurting, man. He's got blood man. coming out of his mouth. I think I'm dying. <laughs> Which was just weirdly comical. Matthew Lillard is so good in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. oh i just i love the idea of them like fucking each other up to like make this plan work and mm-hmm. they bring out her dad and they're like well look who's here and they're just like walking her through what they're gonna do i like i i love yeah. this shit like i live for this they do something similar in all of the screams obviously but the like self-mutilation thing is so so good in scream four <laughs> and like the more they're paying attention to each other the less attention they're paying to sydney so she's mm-hmm. just kind of standing there like waiting for her moment to disappear because she's so smart and mm-hmm. then she gets it when gail comes in <laughs> mm-hmm. my queen <laughs> yeah so we find out that sydney and her dad have gone missing and billy tries to grab the gun or Stu tries to grab somebody tries to grab it Stu. And they realize that it's missing, and that's because Gail's got him. Just before she can shoot him, he kicks her out the door and she passes out. Just as Billy's about to shoot Gail, they they realize Sydney and her dad are missing. The phone rings in the kitchen, and it's Sydney with the voice recorder. I do love him just being like, it works better with the safety on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it's so extra. And, like, they're so fucking stupid. Like, of course, of course she ran away. You mm-hmm. weren't looking. They're dumb. They're too obsessed with each other and the knives and the guns. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But yeah, I love her calling him on the phone. Mm-hmm. She is like almost gleeful in her mm-hmm. vengeance. <laughs> yeah. Stu's very close to passing out from his stab wounds and is very worried that Sydney calls the police because his parents are going to be so mad at him. <laughs> My parents are going to Did you really call the police? I also like when she's like, Billy has a motive. What's yours? And he goes, peer pressure. I'm very sensitive. (laughs) (laughs) The whole scene is so funny. Mm -hmm. I love just like when he gets the phone and he's just like, hello. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And meanwhile, Billy is losing his fucking mind. Yes. He's like, you bitch! (laughs) Constantly. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so wild. I I love this scene. It's so chaotic. Billy starts to look for Sydney, but she charges at him out of the closet and stabs him with an umbrella. Hell yeah. Seeing Sydney hurt Billy, Stu attacks her and tackles her, but she's able to get away and drops a whole TV on him, killing him. That is, that is a wild death. 
Billy, it seems, is only playing dead, though, and tries to kill Sydney yet again, but Gail comes in and saves the day with a single bullet. As Sydney helps Randy to his feet, Sydney grabs the gun and checks that Billy's really dead this time. But just as Randy warns, the killer always comes back for one last scare. <laughs> Billy tries it, but <laughs> Sydney shoots him right in the head. Not in my movie. Literally, Courtney Cox going, I guess I remembered the safety that time, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is my favorite line when uh, Randy shows up again and she's like, Randy, I thought you were dead. And he goes, I probably should be. I've never been so happy to be a virgin. Yeah. <laughs> I probably should be. I probably yeah, should be. That's really good. I even like that. I think I like that line better than the virgin line just because of the way he delivers it. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I probably should be. I probably should be. <laughs> oh my God. This whole movie is so good. <laughs> yeah. And I love that they're like, okay, yeah, we're done. Boom. This is the end of movie. Like you mm-hmm. get Gail doing her little story at the end. They're like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yes. In and out. That's what we need. <laughs> so one of the things that I wanted to touch on and Natalie mentioned briefly earlier was kind of the elements that make this a postmodern film. So I think we talked about postmodernism, maybe with A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. I can't remember exactly which one. We did a little bit, yeah. Yeah, so we briefly mentioned in that episode the idea of intertextuality. So, like, playing with references to other movies. So, obviously, they mention a lot of different horror films throughout the movie, Mm -hmm. which kind of, I thought, positioned it as cinematic progeny, almost. Like, acknowledging that the film is heavily influenced by its predecessors. And in some ways, it's a reproduction of them, but in other ways, it deviates from the quote-unquote rules that those movies have set up. Mm-hmm. So I thought that, obviously, that's an interesting part of the movie. It's one of the draws to it. For sure. So we kind of talked about how it reinforces some rules, but then breaks others, like with the final girl not being a virgin. And then the other thing that I think was really prominent was self-referentiality, which is another characteristic of postmodern films. So like the meta-references and the comments on horror film, the horror film genre in general is also obviously another draw of the film it's probably what people know most about it when you mention scream i would think yeah Yeah. it's how meta it is so it's kind of like a movie about horror movies in that sense Mm -hmm. and you have the character randy who's really the one who explains the rules and at one point he says it's a very simple formula i think when he's just going off in the video Mm -hmm. store so yeah in that sense it's kind of acknowledging itself as an artificial product which is a big part of postmodernism yeah But the one thing that I really took off with was this idea of hyper reality, meaning like how reality and fiction blend together. So there's no clear distinction between where one ends and the other begins. Mm -hmm. So I kind of saw, I was trying to think about the themes of the film and I kind of zeroed in on this idea of disconnection from reality. So like I thought a lot about how Disconnection from reality is portrayed as pathological and potentially dangerous. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm thinking about Billy who, cause I was thinking like, what's going on with Billy? Like, you know, he kind of gives a motive. He kind of doesn't give a motive. It's like back and forth. And I was like, well, it's really, he can't distinguish reality from fiction. Like he sees them as one Mm -hmm. and the same. And he uses movies, horror movies in particular to understand and interpret the world. So like at the very beginning where he's talking about the exorcist and he uses that to kind of understand what's happening in their relationship. And then he has Mm -hmm. this other line in the, 
toward the end, like right before they have sex. Yeah. He mentions the silence of the lambs. And it's like, she's talking about her trauma, I think. And he says, oh, it's like in Silence of the Lambs where Clarice keeps having flashbacks. And she's like, this isn't a movie. This is real life. And he, it, mm-hmm. like, he doesn't get it. He's like, it's all one great big movie. Yeah. So it's like, you clearly. You your genre. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think it's definitely playing with this idea that he is kind of psychotic in the sense that he cannot distinguish what is reality and what is fiction because... He even says earlier in the film, he like accuses Randy of having a quote, movie freaked mind that lost its reality button. Mm -hmm. So like, I was thinking about all of this, but I think the movie's also saying, don't blame horror films for, for people like committing atrocious crimes like this. Like at the very end, I don't remember if it's Stu or Billy who says it, but one of them says, yeah, don't blame the movies. (laughs) Movies don't make psychos. They make psychos more creative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about like, yeah, films can desensitize people who watch a lot of them, but it doesn't sever their connection. At least I don't believe it severs their connection to reality. And that's kind of where the psychosis comes into play that Billy is obviously dealing with. So like in that sense, kind of going off of that, I kind of see like Billy and Randy as foils because they both watch a lot of horror films, but Billy is violent and Mm -hmm. Randy is not. So, like, Randy kind of views movies as artificial, formulaic products. So he's kind of able to, like, distance himself from them because he sees them for what they are. And then Billy views movies or understands them as real life. Yeah. So I I thought that was interesting. And I didn't think about that at first until I was thinking about, like, well, you'd think, and Randy even says that he would be the prime suspect in a movie like this because he's watched the most horror Mm -hmm. films or -hmm. knows the most about them. But it's like, no, I think the problem is not in the exposure to the horror films. It's in who is disconnected from reality and who is able to keep reality and fiction separate. Yeah, for sure. What I like about all of these movies, like what I like about this franchise in general, is that it always really strives to interact with what's happening in horror at the time Mm -hmm. and what's happening in the world at the time. And you think about like the late 90s, you think about the way that a lot of people think that the horror genre had become kind of a parody of itself at that time. Mm -hmm. Like it's easy to point out like these rules that Randy's talking about. It's easy to be like, you know, if you study enough movies, you know what's going to happen. And I really, really think that it's awesome that we have this movie that was like, you know what, let's let's interact with that. Let's make that are kind of like thesis for what we're going to talk about and it's wild to me that they can make like five of these and each of them be successful at interacting with those tropes and doing it in a new and fresh way Mm -hmm. well yeah it's kind of like a comment on how horror films have become incorporated into our daily lives Mm -hmm. and our culture and i don't think it's a cautionary tale in, in any sense but like that's why i think billy is an interesting character because it does show you know, here's here's an extreme depiction of what that kind of buy-in to horror films yeah. can result in. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't think that horror films create I, I violent people. Mean. Yeah, mm-hmm. It is taken to an extreme level of like, here is someone who views horror films as life and can't understand that, that life is different from the fiction he sees on the screen. Mm-hmm. It just got me thinking about like, I don't know when all of this conversation was really hitting a peak intensity, but there has been the continual discussion of like 
does exposure to violent media make a person violent and copycat crimes and things like that and Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. whole debate surrounding that and I don't know my guess is the movie doesn't intend to speak to that I don't know if that's the truth or not but I think it does a little bit yeah (laughs) I mean I don't know if that was intentional but like there is some of that in there yeah and I think that they've I think, don't quote me on this, but I think that they've kind of come to the conclusion or a partial conclusion that it's like nature and nurture, you know? If you are already kind of predisposed to Mm -hmm. violence, then of course being exposed to violent media is not going to help. But that's why I think that Randy's character is interesting because he does watch a lot of horror films, but he's not inclined to violent behavior. Mm -hmm. So it's almost a counterexample to say like, well, yeah, you can watch a lot of horror films and fucked up stuff, but that doesn't make you a fucked up, you know, make mm-hmm. you do fucked up things. Yeah. So. I think that one of the biggest takeaways from this movie that I had when I first saw it, and like I still have now to this day, is that this is like a horror movie that gives us a few really interesting and strong female characters in a way that felt fresh. These girls aren't stupid mm-hmm. they're they're fighting back and we've seen we've seen final girls fight back before like i will speak nothing but praise from like nancy and nightmare on all the street yeah but what we're seeing in scream are girls who are learning how to play this game and are doing it well and they're doing it in a way that isn't compromising who they are in a lot of ways like i've already mentioned gail do you see a lot of growth from Sydney over just this mm-hmm. one movie? Like for sure. She comes out the gate like ready to confront the killer in a lot of ways. Yeah. And trying to take control of her own story, trying to take control of her own agency, like speaking out against people who she thinks has wronged her, like the way that she confronts Gail, I think is really awesome and interesting. And it's like there's this character that's been through this trauma and is trying to make the best of it. And obviously, like the film does put her through the ringer. <laughs> yeah. But I do like that the Sydney we get at the end of the movie is powerful and capable and competent. And mm-hmm. I really, really like that the movie ends with these two women helping each other. These two yeah. women who were at first at odds coming together and helping each other. I think that is so amazing. When uh, Gail gives her version of the ending of the film where she mm-hmm. she's left for dead and then she comes back and kills the yeah the guys and she's like, yeah, I sure. like that ending. I'm like, yeah. Women. <laughs> yeah. Friendship. Teamwork. All that good stuff. I do like that Sydney is also, like if I'm thinking about Billy being severed from reality, Sydney's kind of growing to become more in touch with reality concerning like what happened to her mom. And she's realizing that what she may have thought before could be wrong. And so she's kind of like Mm -hmm. coming to know the truth a bit more. I do think that that's kind of also like part of growing up. Like there's, there's this part Mm -hmm. of growing up where you kind of realize that your parents aren't who you thought they were. Yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. You know what I mean? And she gets a rude awakening for Mm -hmm. that one, but it is still like a relatable storyline. Like, Hey, like what I thought happened to my mom, maybe not be what I thought happened to my mom. And the person who she was is still the person who she was to me, but may not be the full person who she was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of my questions, I kind of had a question of like, how do you think this film functions? Like, what do you think the point of this movie is? Like, is it just to be kind of like, wink, wink, we get horror films and we're going to like make a meta commentary on them? Or what is there beyond that? I think 
it definitely has to lean into that we're we're a horror movie for people who like horror movies it's also about horror movies like there's definitely an element of that Mm -hmm. like natalie mentioned earlier about like how it's kind of revitalizing the genre and reinventing certain things and challenging certain things so maybe like you know maybe that's the point yeah i just i just know that like if you don't know anything about scream Mm -hmm. or if you if you were like me for the longest time and like just knew a lot about it but had never seen it Mm -hmm. it seems like the most obvious thing about it is that it is a commentary on horror films yeah while being a horror film itself I don't think that any of them set out making this movie to be like, we're going to re- reinvent the genre. Like, famously, What's-His-Face said that about Singing in the Rain. It was like, <laughs> we're going to make something like so classic here. I don't think that that's what happened with Scream. But I do think that, you know, coming into this, it's like, yes, obviously, horror films and especially slasher films are very formulaic. But that doesn't mean that it can't be enjoyable and engaging. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So maybe that's kind of like where they came from. Like, I'm not sure like exactly like what the intended function of the film was, like you were asking, though. I think uh, if we're looking at like a main thesis for the film, I think that what we're doing is exploring just kind of like a postmodern view of what the horror genre is and what we like about the horror genre. Like Mm -hmm. the reason why this film works is because it's picking apart cliches, but also enacting them. Like, we Mm -hmm. talked about this in the beginning. Like, she makes a comment about the girl always running up the stairs and should be running out the front door. Mm -hmm. And what does the movie do? It makes her run up the stairs instead of running out the front door. Mm -hmm. So I think as much as this film kind of picks apart and interrogates those, like, tropes and things that we're used to seeing in horror films, Mm -hmm. it's also executing them. And it's executing them in an excellent way. I think that... If I were to tell a person, like if somebody had never seen Scream and I were to tell them like why they should watch it, I would mention the meta stuff because like if you don't like that kind of thing, you're not going to like this movie. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. But I think the reason why this film is so incredibly successful to me, at least, is because of the characters that were given in this film. I think that I, w- I will readily admit, like I- I've said this before, I love slasher movies you don't really go to a slasher movie for character development. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I think it is kind of crazy that we get this movie that offers such a wide array of characters and so many of them get distinctive arcs and distinctive personalities. And we get to see them be smart. We get to see Mm -hmm. them react to things Mm -hmm. and have like emotional reactions to things. Like I couldn't imagine a character like Gail existing in a horror film in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. Like I just couldn't. You know what I mean? They wouldn't give her that much dimension. And then you look at the way that like Sydney gets to process her past trauma and like move forward and become like a fighter. And even like somebody like Tatum, like she's functioning as like the best friend character but you still get a lot from her. Like you get to know her, you get to see her react to things. You get to see her support her friend. Mm -hmm. They've really built a relatable and understandable world. And I think that that is one of the reasons why this movie has had such a longevity when it comes to like the horror community. And even the population at wide, like people still like this movie because it's fun to watch because Mm -hmm. the characters are good. The dialogue is good. The story is good. Like Heidi said, I don't think they went about deciding that they're going to change the game. (laughs) But I do think that they were like, hey, we're going to make something different. 
and Mm -hmm. that starts with these characters and ends with this kind of like dissection of why we like horror movies i feel like scream is kind of like a love letter to horror Mm -hmm. absolutely well i was just thinking like there is you know from an audience's standpoint there is some sort of pleasure derived from watching a movie that knows what it is and and Mm -hmm. names what it is i mean that's what self the self-referentiality is like 21 jump street like we know what this movie is and you know what this movie is and we're not going to pretend like you don't. So it mm-hmm. is kind of like, yeah, showing some sort of connection or trust with the audience and winking at them. And there is pleasure to be had in that. Mm-hmm. And it definitely isn't leaning too hard on its meta-ness. It's mm-hmm. not leaning too hard yeah. on self-referentiality. Like we're still getting, yeah. we're still getting good scares. We're still getting good set pieces. We're still getting good chase scenes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're not bastardizing the horror movie concept to make like mm-hmm. a comedic self-referential like yeah post-modern it's more reverent movie. there's a lot of reverence in this yes it's like hey we're gonna do this but we're gonna do this exceptionally well uh-huh. yeah and i that's what i love about this movie <laughs> yeah because I, I can't think of an example right now but i know that i've seen films that are meta but it doesn't pull it off very well because it seems kind of cheap it seems like they're just dropping other films' names and using tropes and like trying to be mm-hmm. funny about it, but it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't feel like that in this one. It feels like they're mm-hmm. kind of paying homage to or yeah. paying tribute to. Yeah, I think that's a better wording of it, too. The ones that came before it, mm-hmm. not just kind of using it to promote itself, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And I, I think that really shows when you're talking about like a writer who legitimately loves horror movies. And a director who has such an established canon of, like, classic horror films. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you have these two people who have that reverence for the genre and who really want to do something that is going to impact it in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And they succeed, obviously. They 100% succeeded. They made a ton of money. (laughs) (laughs) They also made, like, just a very good film. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't fear the reaper. <laughs> Baby, I'm your man. <laughs> this is just a great movie. And I would 100 million percent be down with covering any of the sequels. So if anybody, anybody listening wants us to cover the sequels, just hit me up and I'll pick one of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. They'll really have to twist your arm about it, though. You really, really don't. I'll talk about Scream all goddamn day. <laughs> And next time oh. we'll all get those voice changer things and just do the podcast like that. Yeah. That would be horrible. <laughs> Hello, girls and ghouls. <laughs> I do want to run through some quick housekeeping things before we end uh, our episode today. So this episode should hopefully be coming to you around the end of January. We're probably going to record our next episode here shortly so we can get that to you in February sometime. We're going to start posting new full episodes on movies monthly instead of doing it bi-weekly. It's just hard for us to keep up with the editing with all of our day jobs. And honestly, Laura's doing most of it and (laughs) she's doing an amazing job. And we just want to make sure that we're giving you guys the quality content that you deserve. So we are going to be amending our posting schedule to monthly. But we have been tossing around the idea of doing some mini-sodes in between that. We were thinking of just kind of doing like sort of topics instead of doing a full film so like 
maybe something genre specific or trope specific or like actor or director specific just to have like conversations because we think that could be kind of fun so if you guys have anything that you want to hear us talk about or whatever just like let us know we're gonna be throwing some ideas around our end and just kind of hopefully posting a few of those episodes in the coming months we're kind of playing it by ear but yeah so thank you so much for listening yet again we hope you enjoyed our episode on scream if you would like to support the podcast please be sure to follow us on our instagram at slashers prefer blondes podcast um you can get links to all of our episodes there and also links to our individual instagram accounts we would also really appreciate if you were to follow us on the podcatcher of your choice, rate us, leave a review. We would love to hear from you guys. Um, and we would obviously appreciate your support. Also, please tell your friends if they're interested in horror movies and want to just be part of our conversation because we love having conversations, as I'm sure you're noticing. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so that's about it for right now. I'm going to post an update on our Instagram about our new posting schedule before this episode comes out. So if you're hearing it here, cool. If you've already seen it online, that's also cool. We just want to be kind of transparent with our situation so that you guys know when to expect episodes from us. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we will have a more consistent, this is when we're going to start releasing episodes day here shortly, but we just kind of want to see what we need in terms of editing time. So yeah. Do we have a movie picked for next week, guys? I think we do. I <gasps> think I, I think we're going to do this. Oh, oh! I said next week. This It's not going to be next week. I just said that. <laughs> next time. Or next time. Yeah. So when we started this and everybody was like, what's your comfort horror? I was like, I like possession movies and ghost movies. And guess what, folks? We are going to cover a Thai film from 2021 called The Medium. It's a found footage movie and also oh, a possession-y movie. So... Oh my god. It's a good found footage. It's like yeah. documentary style. It's not handheld. Okay. It's really good. Natalie and I actually like just recently watched this on Shudder. It's like a Shudder exclusive. You can find my review on Letterboxd. <laughs> it's um, three words. It's Jesus three words. fucking Christ. Just put a fucking link to her Letterboxd in the, in the description of this episode. There, there is a link to my Letterboxd in my bio on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, but I'm excited as soon as we got done watching this movie, I was like, I want to cover this. So we're going to do it. Yeah, it is available on Shutter. So we highly, highly recommend that if you're going to listen to that episode that you watch this movie. It's 100% worth your time. We would not be steering you in a wrong direction here. But yeah. we do think that it'll be, it's more fun if you watch it first. Yeah. Oh, also, for anybody keeping track at home. It may seem like we really just like went out of order and like skipped Heidi and there was all a lot of strange things. <laughs> what happened is we actually recorded a secret Christmas episode <laughs> that we were going to post during Christmas, but it just there were a lot of reasons why that episode did not get put up. We still have the raw footage though, so we're going to edit it. <laughs> raw footage. And uh NC17. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know when we'll post it. We might save it until next Christmas. We or might what post about it, Christmas like, in July, you know? That's what I was thinking. We might also just do a Christmas in July thing. But yeah, so like let us know what you want us to do with that. We do have it. It, it does exist. <laughs> it's in the vault. It's on Krampus. Um <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, until next time, we hope everybody has a safe time outside yeah please be safe yeah just please wear your mask please be safe Mm -hmm. and we will talk to you all next month end of podcast stay spooky oh stay spooky end of podcast (laughs) 